Hello, and welcome to Silicon Alley Podcast. Super excited you could join me today. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course, you're a host of the Silicon Alley Podcast. Now, on the Silicon Alley Podcast, I talk to entrepreneurs and top performers to understand what it truly takes to grow and scale a business. You get actionable advice that you can apply in your own business and life. Now, on today's episode, I sit down with Derek Cahill, a chocolate entrepreneur, sales leader, and co-host of a podcast called Perpenthicity. Now, before I jump into Derek's full bio and what you can expect on today's episode, if you've not already, please subscribe and follow the Silicon Alley podcast so you get notified when a new episode drops every Friday. And of course, if you hear something that you like, be sure to share the podcast with others on social media, text, email, or however you prefer. Now, today's guest, Derek Cahill, is a husband, father, career sales professional, and serial entrepreneur. He currently serves as vice president of sales at a global technology firm, co-hosts a personal development podcast, and is the co-founder of Wicked Bold Chocolate. Derek has a passion for helping people realize their potential, and he strongly believes that action is the key to everything. Derek has an incredible story of overcoming a tough childhood and working through the challenges of having parents with substance abuse problems and to ultimately now finding his purpose and what really drives him. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoy today's high energy episode of the Silicon Alley podcast with Derek Cahill. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a circle saying, I'll never leave this place. Derek, welcome to the Silicon Alley podcast. Super excited to have you on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm excited. So I got to have the pleasure of sitting down with your, uh, your uh, partner, Austin Walker, on the, the Perpenticity podcast. But uh, you've got a different story than Austin. So I'm excited to jump into that and some of your experience with entrepreneurship. So yeah, you guys are doing some good things. So happy yeah, that we cool. can uh, looking, sit down. Looking forward to it. Austin's definitely the better half. Uh, <laughs> I think he, he, helps, he helps ground me quite a bit. So yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll let the audience decide. We can, uh, we can <laughs> yeah, drop we'll, a poll. We'll have to do a poll after this. Exactly, exactly. So, Derek, why don't you, let's take a step back. I'd like to learn a little bit more about you and sort of your early career. You've done a number of things in terms of entrepreneurship, starting different businesses. Um, so talk to me a little bit about like your journey of how you've gotten to where you are today. Yeah, man, big question. Um, so I'm, I turned 32 this year. Uh, and I've done just a lot, right? So if I go back to being 12, I had a paper route. So I've been working and grinding <laughs> since I was like a kid, right? It's yeah. funny, my son, my son's about to turn uh, 11. I need to get him a job. But um, yeah, you know, I think it comes from, you know, some of my personal background. I was raised in a family um, that didn't have a lot. Um, right. Both of my parents struggled with addiction and um, just, dependency problems. So I think at an early age, I saw I, it's funny back then it was it was painful. But as I reflect back on it now, it was a privilege to grow up like that, because it, it enabled me to push for the things that I wanted and, and, and mold me into who I am today. So, you know, back then 12, 13 to like 20 something, I had no idea who I was, what I was, what I stood for. Um, but it's that Steve Jobs quote, you can't connect the dots looking forward, you can only connect them looking backwards. So you know, I think that's what puts me in the position I'm in now, which is I always wanted more. I was always fighting for more. I was always leading whatever I was involved in, even if I didn't realize I was leading it at the time. So I can like something silly as video games. If yeah. I played a video game online, I was always the leader of the team. And I, I can only connect that now looking back. That's like, wow, that was like so ingrained in me. But, um, my career, like my profession got started in sales when I was 18. And that was in lieu of going to college because I had okay. no idea uh, about school. <laughs> uh, again, comment on, yeah. the, on the parents. But uh, so I got into sales and I, I got started in door to door okay. in Florida. So I sold That's CenturyLink. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. It, it, was, it was definitely tough. But it was also, I mean, it's a gritty job. You get told no a lot. So I think it just adds to kind of the flair that I picked up along the way. But you know, from, from door to door sales, I jumped into various retail jobs where I was selling like cell phones. I was launching wireless divisions. And, uh, my first, my first entrepreneurial venture was actually like a car detailing company that I did for like six months with a buddy of ours. We got a couple commercial clients. It was called to the T automotive detailing. It's not <laughs> enough to make it to the LinkedIn profile, but it was kind of my first venture in making something for myself. But after about six or seven years in sales. I was at Verizon. I'd been there for about four years. And that, that quest for more started bubbling back up in me 
Okay. I'm sure I'm sure that a lot of entrepreneurs have the same kind of background of like they wanted to do a lot, but I don't have the money. I don't have the network. I don't have the expertise. That was me. Yeah. And at Verizon, I just saw this need for more customer service. So I had no money, man. I had maybe like a few thousand dollars. My wife or my, my then uh, fiance was pregnant. I had a five-year-old or a six-year-old and I just quit my job. <laughs> because I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. That I don't know if you're familiar with the feeling, but I had a feeling I can't describe of just I couldn't work anymore for what yeah. I was doing, and I took 200 bucks, got business cards, I got a shirt made on uh, Vistaprint, and I just started slinging cards out to local retailers, man, and uh, you know built it into something pretty cool. Um, you know, it didn't turn into what I wanted it to turn into, but that's one of the great things about being an entrepreneur. Sometimes you fail and you go to the next thing and. You know, I closed that out and started my career at Gartner. And, you know, I've started a few things since then, but I'll stop there. I've talked for a hot minute, so I'll give it yeah. back to you in a moment. No, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, having, having this drive, like you said, to sort of lead and be in the driver's seat, it sounds like of not only your own life, but sort of whatever venture that you're working on, whether it was video games or car detailing or whatever. How is that? Uh, like, where did that really come about? Like, it sounds like it came from childhood, but like, what really like triggered that as you look back and reflect? Yeah, I mean, so I'm still learning a lot about me, man, right? Like, I don't have it all figured out. I have flaws, I have things that I'm that I'm working through of like, where does that come from? Because I don't have an off switch. I'm yeah. like, my phone is riddled with ideas that like, even last night, man, it was like 1130 at night, I rolled over, got my phone because I had an idea and I write it down. It's like, and I, you know, from what I've figured out, it comes from my, the way I was raised and what I saw, you know, yeah. I, I actually had a buddy of mine put it really simply for me. He was reflecting on me and he was like, you know, man, you know what you want, but you also know exactly what you don't want. And I think that's the blessing and a curse that I come with is that I've seen things that I never want to see again. I've seen poverty and I've seen what it's like to yeah. struggle and I've seen what a, what a poor family construct looks like. And, and I know that, so with that said, there's also the, like, maybe I'm the exception to the rule. Cause I know that it's not a hundred percent of the time people that come from that kind of background are able to build themselves up and do something about it. So obviously it's something deeper in me, sure. but it's just yeah. this, this quest for more, man. Like I just want more for me. And until I get it, which is not defined, which means <laughs> I'm not turning off anytime soon. It's just, it, it's a really indescribable feeling, man. Um, because it applies yeah. to everything in my life. It's not just entrepreneurship. It's the way I raise my kids. It's the way I perform my work at, at my day job. It's like, if anyone's going to make it happen, it's me. And yeah. it's just, it's to the core. Now, I love that. And thinking about like your decision-making process, this drive for more, what was it like to quit your job when you, you said fiance's pregnant, you've got a five-year-old and you just, you just quit. Like what, and I can, I can relate to that feeling myself. And when you hit a point where it's like, I just, I've got to do this thing for me, but can you yeah. describe what that feeling's like and how you made that decision? Cause on the outside looking in, a lot of people are like, ah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know, yeah. I'd love to hear what that feeling is. Well, that's the thing, man. And it, this is again, something I've learned just recently, like this, who I am doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. And, and I'm <laughs> sure it's the same way for you. It's like, how do you do that? How are you on all that? Like, you know, that drive yeah. isn't normal. I, I don't think anyways. Um, but, you know, to be raw, man, it was a lot of like tears and anger okay. and depression and anxiety about the lack of control over my own life, man. Like, we'd already talked about some things that I'd started and dabbled in and here and there. But um, I, I mean, there were nights like there are two in particular that I remember vividly, man. I remember one time I, I was driving home and this is, I was working at Verizon at the time and I was, I don't know, making like 50 grand a year or something like that. And I, I was living. Okay. Yeah. But it's those, it was that drive home. I got home and I remember sitting on the steps of my townhouse. Like I had a two story townhouse. I was sitting on the, I was sitting on the carpeted steps and I was like tearing up like, and I was alone. I was alone. And I was just like yelling at myself. Like, when are you going to do something? When are you like, when does this happen for you? Do you, are you just going to happen one day, my man? Like, when does this happen for you? Um, and that was like, that was probably like the big kick for me that said like, okay. if anyone's going to make it happen, it's going to be you. It's like, I was living my life with excuses of why I couldn't do certain things and why I didn't have certain things like across yeah. multiple, you know, platitudes of like what that meant for me. Um, and one of the second times was thinking about obstacles 
you know, the way that I put it was like the universe kept putting things in my way. And I started like formulating this concept in my head that it's like, all right, it's seeing how bad I want it. The universe yeah. wants to see how bad I want something. And, but it was bitter, man, because like some of these obstacles were invisible, right? It wasn't things that you could predict or see. It was just things that just kept getting in my way. And I remember with my wife, I was sitting at the computer. I don't remember what the, what the hell I was doing, but I was crying because it's like, when does this stop? Like, when do I plow through this shit and just get through it and, and get, and it was, you know, it was those constant things in my mind that just what it did. Like, if I look back now over those, you know, let's call it like eight or nine years since like conversation with Derek, number one, it's, (laughs) it's brought me this like overwhelming sense of ownership. Like there is nothing else that stands in my way, but me, unless I allow it to stand in my way. But it was through those series of like self conversations of like, coming at myself like yo you own this yeah. when do you change it yeah is it what it boils down to no i love that and i think it's really interesting that internal dialogue and how you have grown and used that to motivate you because you know the other side of the coin is that a lot of people that internal dialogue keeps people from taking action or doing the things that they want to do and it's a conversation that I've had with a couple folks in terms of uh, that have depression symptoms and yep. things like that specifically. I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about that development um, and like what that's been like for you? Yeah. So a, a quote that's popping in my head right now, I don't know if it's a quote I've read or something that I'm just about to coin, but it's like, there's enough people that want to compete with me. I can't compete with myself or like be my, I can't, I can't be my own competition, right? Like there's enough yeah. people out there. It's like, I've got to push myself to go win. You know, a big factor of it was, like the, you know, not to be cliche, but like the power of positive thinking Yeah. for years, Will, all I did every day was listen to motivational videos on YouTube. Like there were moments where I was probably the crazy guy in the car next to you where I'm like screaming less Brown. I remember like the one that hits me the hardest is, you know, they get the nice piano music and it's building up, but it's like, I'm the one. If anyone's going to do it, it's going to be me. I'm the one. And I would like repeat that. And I would yell it into my car to like, I don't know what the hell I thought I was doing back then, but it made me feel good. Like it made me tear up. Cause it's like, I always, even to this day, like I'm going to do it. Like I'm yeah. going to do it and I'm going to do it great. And I'm going to be like there, topic for another, another call maybe, but I'm going to be it. And I can't do it alone though. Right. Like my wife and my kids, like yeah. I couldn't do it without them because I don't know what the hell I'd be fighting for without them. You know, and that's not to say that other people that don't have kids, et cetera, like they'll find it, but it's a coupling with them. It was coupling with like, if I didn't find myself surrounded by people that were going to push me to be great, I had to find it somewhere else. So I started listening to YouTube videos and podcasts and getting myself fired up and having that, like, I can do it attitude. Um, But, you know, starting Zimni was freaking terrifying, man. Yeah. Terrifying. It was poor. You know, we had to sublet our townhouse for... I think I did Zimni for like three or four months on savings and then what I was making at Zimni, but it came to a point where it's like, we, I don't have the money anymore. Yeah. So we sublet it out and went and lived in Brooklyn's mom's spare bedroom. Me, my pregnant fiance and my son Landon shared one bedroom and my wife and I were on an air mattress that wouldn't stay inflated. And she was oh, wow. like seven months pregnant, man. And, um, it, without her support to push me to keep going to say like, listen, this is, this is part of it. Keep going, yeah. keep going. You know, who knows what would have happened, but um, it's like those small sacrifices that I would never do again. Like I would never do that right now. Um, but it was something that back then, obviously I felt compelled, like I needed to do it. And it's what unlocked everything for me. Like that one small risk. I remember saying to myself, I'm not going to die. Like go jump dude. And just show yourself that you'll survive. And yeah. it was like the biggest unlocking moment for me ever because here I am 10 times the man I was back then. And seriously, I can look at that moment when I, when I said, I'm done with this, I'm quitting my job. I'm taking control of my destiny. Everything changed. It didn't change overnight. It took sure. years to get to where I am now. But if I didn't start that ripple in the ocean, these waves would have never carried me here. Wow. That's, that's incredible. And like, just, you know, being able to track back exactly how you got to where you are to that one moment. And as you said, yeah, it takes, it's crazy. There's, there's so much stuff that goes along with it, but that one decision led to all of the other things to get you to where you are today. Yeah, it's wild. 
how important from a relationship standpoint, you, you touched on it a little bit, but how important are relationships when you think about entrepreneurship or just in general in terms of, of what you're fighting for and support as you kind of blaze your own path? Yeah. Uh, so, in the, I mean, there's many different kinds of relationships, but if I could boil it down to one thing that needs to always be there is it needs to be growing in the same direction. Okay. You know, whether it's a fiance, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a husband, um, a best friend, a partner in your business, if you're not growing in the same direction, you're losing slowly. There was an analogy that one of my like high school girlfriend's dads gave me, which is, you know, if you put water in your hand and just let it sit there, it will sit there. But if you try to squeeze it, it's all going to fall out. Right. So it's like, you've got to be in a partnership with your people when you're moving forward that says like, our vision is the same, yeah. right? Our attitudes have to be somewhat the same. And you know, the, the one final piece for me anyways, is something that I've always lived by, but Will Smith put it into words <laughs> is it's not my job to make someone happy. They've got to be happy. And then I will be happy and we will come together and be happy together. Um, Cause you can't win without happiness. It's just, you can't, you can't afford to not be happy because when you're not happy, you're not going to work your best. And when you don't work your best, it's too slow for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't, I haven't uh, heard that Will Smith quote. So thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing that one. The good one. Yeah. Very good one. So talk to me about how Zimni and that experience led you down the path to where you are today. Cause you've got a couple of different ventures that you're working on while, um, you know, having a full-time job at Gartner leading team. So would love to, to kind of walk us through that next sort of phase and where you are today. Yeah, I think I can probably be super simple about what Zimni gave me is just the belief that I can do absolutely anything. There is nothing I can't do. I could start any business I want. Like I'm being dead serious. I could, if I want to do it, I can go do it. And I think what I've mastered, and it's so cool even being able to use that word now, like what I've mastered is <laughs> being able to start with version point one, right? Like mm -hmm. I know that I don't need 150K in capital to start anything I want. I yeah. can start it with a hundred bucks if I want to, because I know at the end of the day, what all businesses come down to is can you sell it, period. And you don't need to have some built out program. You don't need to have the fully operational anything get a few early customers and even show yourself that you can do it. Cause if you can't get to that point, what the hell are you going to raise money for? Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's, I, I, you put that super simply. I've heard it as a process of building conviction whenever you're trying to, to sell anything. And the first person you've got to, con, you've got to have conviction behind is yourself and what you're selling, what you're building, what you're doing. So yeah, I love that. So after Zimni, what you, it, Gartner, right? You ended up at Gartner. Yep. Talk to me about that experience and how that has led to relationships. It looks like that have led you to some of these other mm. other ventures with Wicked Bold and Perpendicity. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So, so that move from being an entrepreneur going back into like the workforce was another kind of tough moment for me because at the time, I actually had an investor that wanted to buy into Zimni and help me keep scaling it. Um, but the way that they wanted to structure it didn't sit real well with me. They wanted to more or less buy it and keep me as like a GM and give me okay. a salary. And that like, it, it, that's just not what I wanted to do, but it was still a tough choice. I was like, damn, I've built something that someone wants to buy and have me manage. Um, or I had this opportunity to join a, a company like Gartner that yeah. had name recognition and I knew would be a good catapult for me. Uh, my brother actually helped me make that decision. He was like, dude, go get into the corporation and grow. Like you're going to skyrocket within there. And you know, who the hell knew that within four years I'd be where I am now, but it was a really good decision for me. And it, and it was contributed by the fact that my wife was about to give birth. So um, yeah. <laughs> I needed some stability, but no, man, I mean, even that itself, some people might look at like a knock, like, oh, you go from being an entrepreneur to getting a job again. And I, I didn't look at it like that by any means. It, you have phases in your life, man, like seasons. And I entered a season yeah. where I needed to go back to work for a little bit. And, you know, I worked for like two and a half years with no ventures, no side hustles. And uh, my wife started like nudging me and she's like, yo, you're losing your edge a little bit. Like I was, <laughs> you know, like you're getting comfortable. So when we moved to Texas last year, we had always dabbled in this chocolate idea but it's kind of expensive to get into that. Not, it was like a grand, right? To like start it for the most part. And uh, when we were moving, we were like, let's do it. 
So, but it was that like spark of like, I needed something for myself again. Like I needed to go feel and stretch and grow again. Yeah. So, you know, my wife and I started just whipping up chocolate in our kitchen and it took us like six months to get it right. But we just kept that. We almost quit because it's a pain in the ass to like temper chocolate appropriately. But, <laughs> um, you know, we just kept going and made delicious chocolate. And now, you know, here we are now where this goes back to like the bootstrapping thing of like, could we use an investment? And do I think it would go to good use? Yeah. But until I get to that point, we're hustling, man. Like yeah. you should see our setup for chocolate. Like we tape ice to the bottom of a table to temper it. Like we're started from the bottom. Now we're here. And it's, <laughs> it's, cool. it's cool to see what we're making. Like we're in stores now. We're selling it online. So it's like we're making these slow inc- incremental moves. And even like, you know, not to like two to horn or anything, but I could put a, some money into this business, but it's like, why? We're doing it right now. So yeah. it's like, I want to prove that you could start a company with 500 bucks and give it no more money and grow it into something cool. Like next year, we'll probably do a hundred thousand dollars in chocolate sales. And we started with 500 bucks. Wow. Right. So now your second question was like relationships that I grew through this period and what it's led to. And it's, it's the same thing like Austin and I with Perpenticity, I feel like, you know, we met when, when I first joined Gardner and we were always the people on that team that would push one another. Okay. Right. Like, healthily push right if he got a meeting i wanted to get two if he sold you know growth within his accounts i wanted to sell even more than that and we were always like this cyclical we were always beating each other by a few thousand dollars at a time and it was really really cool but we were both on this kind of same life journey like what do we stand for what's yeah. our purpose what are we here for um and you know we we separated for a couple of years where we didn't talk too much but what kind of brought that back to life was um, funny enough is I was going to have a sales manager opening that I needed filled and I was trying to like prospect into him. I wanted him to come join my <laughs> team, but uh, you know, at his period of life, he was kind of getting disillusioned with what he was doing and, and was finding clarity with what he wanted to do next. And so was I. Yeah. So like it kind of fostered, like it just started with a friend was calling a friend and we had a couple conversations that were lasting 60 minutes, you know, hour and a half. And I ultimately said to him, I was like, dude, let's start a podcast and talk about this because I'm sure that other people, A, have struggled with stuff that we've struggled with, but B, are struggling with stuff right this second that you and I have already kind of unlocked. How can we share that perspective with other people? And obviously now we're going on to episode 14. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love that. I love that story and both of them in particular. I want to jump back though to to Wicked Bold though and the chocolate and how have you grown it to where you're going to be doing a hundred thousand in sales? Like what has that process been like not taking on any money? How have you guys been getting customers? If someone, you know, wants to follow in your footsteps and, and has a, a sort of passion project that they want to turn into a business. Yeah. So like overwhelming belief in what you're doing is number one. <laughs> um, but it's hard, man. Like, you know, I want to move faster. I'm, I'm a human. It's not yeah. like I'm, it's, dude, especially me, like I'm so driven, right? Like I can't tell you how many times I've looked up properties and I'm looking up leases or buying places. I'm like, yo, let's do that. But at the end of the day, we're really not there yet, right? Okay. You can always justify overspending. Always, 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 always justify overspending. And I think people have this delusion of grandeur of like where they need to be. Yeah. But first, I have a wife that keeps me pretty grounded. She always is like, slow the hell down, man. Like we're doing fine. <laughs> um, so like that keeps me in my own, like that keeps me in my, in my lane, but it's also just celebrating small wins. Like, you know, just like a few months ago, we converted our first paid ad. It cost okay. us a ridiculous amount of money to do it, but we converted one sale and I was like, okay, the recipes cooking, we're finding it. Um, you know, we're in five retail locations right now. And each one of those was a different celebration of getting in there. Like the first one, the second one, like it's all its own unique winning experiences. And we have like a pipeline now of, um, of getting involved in, yeah. in, uh, in other retail stores. Our online store is picking up. We're building a community of people. Now, is it a huge community? No, but it's like 150, couple hundred people that love our chocolate. So it's like looking at those leading indicators that say we're doing something right. And then just trusting the process, right? Like yeah. when I was 23 years old, there's not a freaking chance in hell. I would think that I'd be right here where I am now. And that's a good thing. Like I, I'm in a good spot right now. Yeah. But you can plan all you want. It's harder to just simply execute and execute yeah. flawlessly. So like we do farmers markets, like let me zoom, let me zoom in and give like one cool learning yeah. that I've had in last October, November, we finally got our chocolate formula, right? 
Okay. Jumped into farmer's markets. We started selling it. We had two really good farmer's markets. Derek, the let's move fast and break shit was like, yo, let's stop doing farmer's markets. That's small time. That's for little local people. Let's go launch e-commerce. And we did. And it was cool. Like we're growing double digit month over month e-commerce, but then COVID hit. Yeah. And that not only did that slow us down, but then also the summertime hit and summertime's not good for chocolate, but I found myself coming full circle. We went and did another farmer's market in May and now I had like a new sense of appreciation for selling face to face with people. Cause I got to like talk to them and talk to them about our chocolate and introduce them to my kids and my wife. And it was like this renewed yeah. sense of community that I took it, that I took for granted at first. Yeah. I saw that pop off and I was like, Oh, next stop billionaire. Right. <laughs> yeah. In instead of next stop, great community. Right. Yeah. So it's like, for me, you know, if I were to give advice to someone that wants to start something small, yeah, do just that. Start it small. Build yourself a small community. Celebrate 10 people. Figure out how to get to 15. Figure out how to get to 20. Don't figure out how to go from 10 to 70 million and taking over Apple. You know, like that's just, <laughs> it's not realistic. And what people do is talk themselves out of being successful that way. Because when you start thinking about, oh, I need to get to, I need a million in capital. Now that starts getting further and further away and you start thinking your idea is shit. Yeah. Versus if you just take it slow and start building your own capital, you get there a little, you know, slower, but more organically and you yeah. get there. No, I think that's an important, important point that you bring up, right? Like being able to go deep with customers is, is huge, especially early on, right? Who, who are going to be the ones that are going to advocate for you, right? It's going to come from those early adopters, those early customers, the people that met your, your wife and kids and see the family yep. venture that's behind it. Like that's, what's going to stick when they go recommend it to their friends and family at Christmas oh, and, that, and buy gifts or whatever. Yep. And that's another small window measure. I remember our first referral chocolate sale that we kept waiting. One of the big things for us is like, yo, I want to sell chocolate to someone we don't know. Yeah. Because the orders were coming in from friends and family and, you know, farmer's markets and then repeat orders, friends, families, farmer's markets. But I hadn't shipped out a box of chocolate to a name. I had no idea who it was. And the first time we did that, I was like, okay, this is getting cool. And, uh, <laughs> building relationships with people. Like I have, I have one lady that texts me for chocolate cause she lives in the air in the local area, but she was our Uber delivery driver. <laughs> she delivered us Uber food. And, um, I, of course I tipped her, but in addition to tipping her, I gave her a couple bags of chocolate, you know, it was in the thick of COVID. And I was like, Hey, let's spread some cheer. And she messaged me the next day and bought like $40 worth of chocolate. We, gave it, <laughs> we give chocolate to our trash guys. We give chocolate to the paper, you know, everyone that we come into contact with, we just give them chocolate. And it's just like, you know, that costs us money, right? It's, it's yeah. a marketing expense, but it's like, why not? We, yeah. gave, we did a marketing campaign in Texas where it was just free chocolate, just literally shoot us a message and I'm going to give you free chocolate. Cause it's like, what else am I going to do? Right. Yeah. I, I don't have contacts to get into whole foods or the production capacity to get into whole foods. I can't get us into these big retailers. What can I do though? So it's all about like, what can I control? What yeah. can I go do? I love that. And there's that kind of that mentality of give first, right. You know, give, give to others. And you know, you, that's, that's the product. That's what you have. You don't have a bunch of money to go spend on what on X, Y, and Z, but Hey, I've got the chocolate and I'm, we're confident in the product. We know people are going to like it and it's going to spread cheer and why not? So I love, I love that approach. I think it's super, super powerful. So where do you see wicked bold? What, I mean, I guess I don't want <laughs> yeah. to, I don't want to, I don't want to catch you there, but like now when you, when you think about what you've just talked yeah. about in terms of not thinking about being a billion dollar company in two years, like how do you envision or how are you guys working on building the brand right now in the midst of COVID? Yeah, no, I'm going to be super duper clear. We're going to be a billion dollar company. In years. <laughs> no. um, when I say, oh, dude, of course I think about it because I wouldn't be me if I didn't. How do you advance things if you don't know where it's going, right? Like sure. this chocolate company, I'm not quitting and it's going to blow up, like period. It's going yeah. to. I know it is because no one's doing what we're doing. You get Hershey's chocolate that's just out there slinging trash. Um you know, you get those other big chocolate companies out there slinging trash. Their supply chain is trash. They're using child labor, et cetera, like trash, trash, trash. <laughs> and then the other, like, if you look yeah. at other, like, uh, um, craft chocolate companies, it's good chocolate, but they're not out there trying to build brands and win the hearts and minds of people. They're out there, like, celebrating where their beans come from, which is cool. Our beans come from the same places. We, 
we don't support child labor with direct trade. We want to make sure the farmers are getting paid. Well, you know, it's all that same stuff, but like our focus is people. So like our tagline, eat our chocolate, achieve your dreams. Like that's so rooted in what not only my wife and I stand for, but like, it's almost like it it could be a brand of perpendicity with how closely aligned the values are. So every month this year, we've donated our profits to local like nonprofits. Like in the month of June, we gave it to the Colin Kaepernick, Know Your Rights Foundation. For a couple months, we gave it to this foundation in in Dallas called um, Brian's House, which supports medically underprivileged kids. And like, in addition to just our brand and popping and creating community, like we want to be the company that actually stands up for the shit that we talk about, which is like giving back to people. And it doesn't always have to be monetarily like starting like, like me and Brooklyn envision this company turning into a production company or a a, uh, manufacturing company that's run by kids like us when we were growing up without, without solid parent figures, without, you know, money, without the next steps mapped out for them. Right. We want our company to be made of those people and we want to be for them what we should have had for us when we were growing up. I think making good chocolate is the second thing that we do. The first thing that we do is help people achieve their dreams and like achieve their, their, like what they're meant to be. Of course, we're working really small right now. It's just the two of us. Right. So we're (laughs) selling that message one person at a time, but we are absolutely going to blow this out of the water, dude. Like, absolutely. Now, this is the part where, like, could I use some capital to, to get that message to go a little bit faster? Sure. But no one's going to beat me there because no one can duplicate our authenticity. That yeah. shit's ours. You can't take that. Can you go make a rival chocolate? Sure. Good luck getting people to buy that instead of what we sell. Period. Derek, I love it. I mean, I can hear the, hear the passion and obviously the, the purpose, like you said, it could almost, your tagline almost lines up exactly with perpendicity and tying it all into what you stand for and what, what's important to you, I think is, is absolutely crucial. It's what sets the brand apart from, well, as you said, big, everything else out there. It's the biggest piece of advice I could give anyone out there that's trying to figure out what to do is center everything in your life around what you believe in. There's not a thing I do right now or give my time to that isn't super centered on what I stand for. And I know that might be 2.0, like, all right, first step, what the hell do you stand for? Yeah. But when you can find what you stand for, do not, do not lower the standard of what you'll go do. Everything I do is rooted in purpose and authenticity and giving back to the underprivileged kids that I used to be. And you can see that through chocolate. You can see that through purpose that you can see it the way I lead my teams at Gartner right? Like every piece of what I put out there is centered around that. And it makes it easy to be alive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. When everything's aligned with, with what you believe in, it definitely, it definitely makes things easier. So talk to me about perpendicity now. I want to, want to focus a little bit on that. How has that experience been building up the podcast with Austin, starting off with just, you know, conversations that you guys are having and saying, let's turn this thing into a podcast. Talk to me about what that's been like. Honestly, like the same as it's been for Wicked Bold. Like it's the same formula. It's find out what works um, and then just do the shit out of it. (laughs) Like just keep doing what works. Um, And it's the same thing. Perpenthicity is on the brink-ish of becoming a little bit business-like. Right. Okay. Where, you know, we just invested to get a logo done up that hopefully we'll be, we'll be unveiling in the next couple of weeks. So like we're taking those small steps, but it's still rooted in like, what's the core focus? The core focus is delivering a message at scale that will help people be great. Yeah. Anything outside of that scope, we don't do. And the other thing is like, all we need to do is be great with our voices. You know, we were talking the other day about um, like a website and it's exciting. Do I want one? Sure but what the, we don't need one, right? Yeah. Like, why are we going to spend money on a website that people can get our content from, from Spotify right now or iTunes right now? Like we just don't need it. And I get it's cool, yeah. but like the biggest thing I've learned is it's, it's not about being cool. It's about being worth something, right? So yeah. like there are a bunch of shit that we could do that's hella cool. I could do that with chocolate. I could do it with perpendicity. We could spend a ton of money, but at the end of the day, it's a facade, that we don't need to hide behind. We put out great content. Let's see what happens. That's kind of where, like, if you were to take a snapshot of where we're at right now, we're in the wait and see what happens phase. Yeah. Growing our community. We're partnering with some, some complimentary organizations and we're just putting out a good message. If if people love it, cool. If no one ever picks it up also cool. Cause we love doing it. We love doing it. Yeah. 
No, I think that's, that's super important, especially with, with like a podcast or a project that you're doing where you have, are trying to get a, a message across, right? I think that's, that's super important to have that, that desire and will and enjoy what you're doing. So what does that look like in terms of some of the partnerships? So you guys are, are looking to grow. I know you've, you've taken a summer sort of sabbatical, so to speak, to get, uh, to get things where you want to go, start working on bringing in other folks into the podcast. Like what does that yep. look like for this next phase of Perpendicity? Yeah. So good question. Um, if you get the answer, let me know what it is. Um, <laughs> do, if you think about it, we're just as much a startup as ostrich might be. Yeah. Wicked bold might be where we're still, we don't know the answers, right? Like we don't, yeah. what we know to be fact is we want to put out good content. Yeah. So some things that we're thinking are like, you know, we're, we're recording episode 14 next week that I think we're launching August 23rd. Um, it will be an episode with just me and Austin to get us back from summer break, but we're, we're dabbling with ideas of like, do we do seasons in our podcast? Like, do we have yeah. a key focus that we'll run a few episodes on? We'll interview a few people and then we'll take another few weeks off and come back with season three, come back with season four, come back with season five. Um, there's a whole bunch of iterations, man, you know, doing workshops yeah. for our listeners, like bringing people in and, and actually being able to engage with them to help them achieve their dreams, accomplish what they're meant to, to accomplish in life. Um, can we take our content and make it an ebook, right? Like, can we just yeah. take our podcast? Like there's so much, that's the thing that I love dude about finally unlocking the belief in yourself is like, what can't we do? We can do anything we want. It's just picking it, <laughs> yeah. but it's all rooted in is the content good. So yeah. as long as we don't stray too far away from that, we'll, you'll see us dabble in some extracurriculars here and there, but like the core focus right now is just putting out overwhelmingly good content. Yeah. Yeah. And super, super focused. I think that's, that's key, right? Is being super yep. focused on what, because everything else, if you don't have really good content, then the rest doesn't matter if you have a fancy it's, website. Oh, it doesn't matter. If hell you, no. Yeah. Exactly. I could get a billion dollars. If I suck at podcasting, I'm just going to waste my money. I'm going to, I'm going to have a Lambo, but I'm not going to be a good podcaster. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you've kind of touched on it throughout what you've been talking about in your story, but if you were to say what your mission is, what drives you, how would you, how would you answer that question, Derek? That's a really, that's a really good one. Um, so I think first I can define me and it's kind of like these pictures behind me a little bit, right? Like that's why they're behind me. <laughs> so this Michael Jordan quote, this is my newest one. It says some people want it to happen. Some people wish it would happen and other people make it happen. So if I were to just focus on that one for me, it's when I think about succeeding, what drives me the most is being able to help other people make it happen. Like when I think about, even if I zoomed into my own family element, like my kids downstairs, and my wife, I don't ever want them ever to struggle the way I had to struggle growing up. I don't want them to learn the lessons that I had to learn. And, and a little bit of that is almost like I'm taking from them because I wouldn't be who I am without those struggles. Yeah. However, dude, it sucked, man. And I know that the odds were stacked incredibly against me growing up the way I grew up. So the one thing that yeah. drives me is taking it away from them. But also, I have this deep calling inside of me to extend that beyond my own family. Like, I want to help everyone. Yeah. And I know that sounds too big, but I'm going to do it. Like, I, I know I can't not help everyone, but that's kind of the purpose with Perpenticity, man. Like, that voice, that reach with the internet and, and, and collaborating with people, like it's so much further away. And I, I do it because I love it. And that goes back to being centered and like everything that I do right now is so centered. Like I do 10 minute Mondays on Instagram. I'm going to change up the time, but it's like, I would never charge people to talk to me or yeah. like get coaching for me or direct. Cause I, I want people to win so hard for themselves like that fuels me. And I just yeah. know that along the way, I'll figure me out. I'll pay my, I'll get myself figured out. I'm never putting a paywall up to, to, to helping people be successful, period, end of story. And I can do that in so many different ways. Like we yeah. talked about with like how I want to staff Wicked Bold and where Wicked Bold is even going to go. Like Wicked Bold is not just going to be chocolate. Yeah. Bold, this is, this is a good one, a little bit off topic, but bold is my family. My wife's name is Brooklyn, okay. daughter Ophelia. Son is Landon and I'm Derek bold. So like, that's the family brand, man. And okay. everything that we ever touch is going to be rooted in what we want to give back to the world, which is helping people realize their potential. Yeah. In everything. 
everything. I love that. And you got me, you got me jacked up, Derek. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm excited. So <laughs> I'm curious when you think about like those targets, cause you've said helping people, is there a number, is there a target that you're working towards? And I say that as someone in sales, you know, having targets and all that is, is a big part of it. So do you have those in your mind? Infinity. Okay. <laughs> right. And, that, and that's probably part of like the sickness I have. Yeah. Um, because I can't remember who I was talking about. I think it might, it might've even been in a perpendicity episode, but the downside, I don't see it as a downside, but the downside is that when you are so rooted in purpose, when the hell do you retire? Yeah. I, I, when do I stop doing what I'm put on this earth to do? And the answer is I don't now the mission here, like if I were to obviously segment that down a little bit more realistically, my mission is to produce more of me so okay. that that, so that that mission and journey lives way beyond me. Yeah. Landon and Ophelia and their friends and the people that I can influence, you know, throughout life, will they carry that torch for me? Yeah. Will they pick this up and continue carrying it. So like when I think about that, it's the same thing as many as possible. And it doesn't have to be for my companies or my things, but like even sure. you, man, like, do I influence you in one way? Like when you, when ostrich blows up, do you take anything that you heard from me and implement it? Like giving back to some underprivileged kids to help them get out of underneath like their parents that couldn't get unhooked from drugs or something like that. Or like, you know, yeah. do you, do you do something like that. So that's my mission is to like, you can't put a number on it because I'm never going to yeah. retire, man. I'm going to be 85 years old taking phone calls with people a hundred percent. It just, it's not possible <laughs> to stop when that's the mission. The mission isn't money. Yeah. The mission for me is impact. I love that. I love that. And I think that's super, super important. And I, I hate to do this because you just said the mission isn't money, but I want to, I do want to understand with that context of what your mission is, obviously finance is an important part of that. You said that you know, your experience growing up and poverty and, and all of the things that come along with that, um, not wanting that for your family, for your kids. Could you describe your relationship with money? Yeah, I'm afraid of it. Um, and I can give you some, I'm, I'm less afraid of it now. Okay. Um, but coming from poverty and even in my early twenties, man, coming from poverty, yeah. um, it's scary, dude. So when you start building for yourself, like the last, you know, five, six years, like I've built for myself and it's always lurking, like, but is that poverty right around the corner again though? So it yeah. creates this very unhealthy relationship with money. Like you feel like, like, I feel like I have to accumulate it. And what it makes me actually not do is avoids investments. Okay. Because if I invest it, that's risky. Now I've gotten a little bit better with that over the last couple of years, but you know, I definitely have my scars and, and my, my unhealthy yeah. aspects of like how you, how I think about money. Um, I'll stop there. That's, that's, I think my starting point. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that you say that because you, you quit your job when you had you know, <laughs> yeah. a pregnant fiance and a that's child true. and with a hundred dollars to go start a business and you made it happen. So like, it, it's it's interesting that you say that you're afraid because I because you know coming from a slightly different situation where you know we weren't rich by any imaginations but did we did I struggle or never ever wonder where our next meal is going to come from no I never experienced that but that is scary from that perspective as well thinking like you know being in that situation without anything so it's it's interesting that you say afraid because some of the things that you've done are almost fearless from the outside looking in. Yeah, man, I get it. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird shift. And some of it comes with just as I've gotten older, I've obviously like, I've gotten a little bit more risk averse with my own money. But, you know, yeah. to paint the picture, you know, when I quit Zimni, you know, I was relatively still not doing well, like I was living yeah. paycheck to paycheck. So like the risk back then, <sighs> the risk back then didn't feel as big as a risk now. Like I would have never yeah quit my job to go start something with a hundred bucks. Like I would never do that, but it's also because <laughs> I've acquired a lot more things now. Like, you know, when I, when I yeah. quit my job to start Zimni, I was renting a townhouse. Like there was no long-term obligation for me. You know, my yeah. son wasn't in school, you know, my, my daughter wasn't, I didn't have a daughter back then, you know? So like there were, it's different elements and, and it's probably two sides of the same coin. But now when I think about it, it's like, you know, as you grow older and you know, you're fortunate enough to build 
what you know a little bit yeah. of a nest egg and get your house and you definitely don't want to lose it and yeah. and it's almost like countered for me a little bit where and i'm not terrified right like i make investments yeah. and, and stuff like that but as you grow for me anyways that pendulum of fear kind of gets closer with you because it's yeah. like okay like i'm growing here like when's the when's this coming like when <laughs> it's like it feels like it's coming so it's like it's a little bit probably just anxiety okay if, if it's anything probably like it's not rooted in fact by any means and i think that by this point i'm never going to get like dude what i experienced growing up was the result of drug addiction and alcoholism yeah. and mental health problems none of which i struggle with so like it's very yeah. irrational for me to say, oh, I'm going to be, I could be there, but it's like, I'm not going to be there. I don't do drugs. I don't overly drink. You know, I'm not like ma yeah. manic by any means. So it's like, it's very irrational, but it's still, it's still there. Yeah. I still, still have there. It. Yeah, I know. I think it's important to recognize that because you, you're right. Like whether or not you're going to go through that, that's your experience. And so it's carried with you. Yeah. So I guess along those lines, saying that, you know, you, you made some investments, but you, you're, for the most part, it sounds like you've been pretty conservative, more on the accumulation side. What would you say is the best investment that you've made, Derek? So I have two answers. One is like my big answer, which is me. Yeah. Like investing in me hundred percent. Like I've paid off dividends for my old self. <laughs> like I was the best <laughs> investment I ever made. Um, but in real, like real life, the best investment I ever made was actually just recently. And it's not even a big gain by any means. It was, uh, I, in March, but uh, I invested in airline stocks and um, I doubled my money. And I was like, I'm brilliant. I bought, <laughs> some, I bought some Spirit, some JetBlue. I bought a couple other things too. And they literally doubled within like 60 days. And I sold it right before they crashed back down. I was like, I'm obviously a savant. I know exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, that, that's the best like tactical investment I've ever made. Right. So I, I love that. <laughs> I actually want to go back to the first one, the you. What specifically is it? The you know YouTube videos and the power power pump up the you know motivational speeches that you're listening to in the car, screaming in the car. Like what? All when of you say it. You what? Is there anything that sticks out? Yeah, I mean all of that, man. Like, and I wish I could. I wish I could identify the point where I made that. Actually, I kind. Of, let's think here. So, I think the big one. A lot of what I come back to is Zimni. And when yeah. I quit my job to start Zimni. Zimni, a lot of that comes from because that what you know, that was the biggest investment I've ever made in me. Because there was I pulled I always like pull the curtains as far back as you can so there's nothing to hide behind. Yeah. When I quit my job, you know, I was getting up before I quit, I was up at like four in the morning listening to like Stanford startups. I don't know if you've never listened to those go listen to them. They are literally the best freaking things I've ever heard. It's, it's led by Sam Altman from Y Combinator. And he brings in a bunch of co-founders and founders from, from um, various startups that probably all of them have since gone out of business, but still it's good content. Okay. Um, but just that I doubled down on what I thought I was made of and I put it to the test. So yeah. like if I had never quit Verizon, dude, first, uh, I don't even want to think about where I'd be. I honestly okay. don't even want to think about it because I would have never challenged myself to see what I was made of. And it took falling apart a couple of times to see the pieces that I was made of. Um, and I was able to pick those pieces up and mold them into who I am today. But if I had never taken that risk, you know, there's a quote, um, I wish I could remember who said it, but like, do you know any millionaires that still live in their same like neighborhood that they grew up in? And the answer is like, not very many. And it, it comes with risk. So I had to come to a point, I'm glad I did it back then, where I just jumped. Yeah. And that was the, like, it was almost a mental investment in myself. Like Derek, go figure it out. It came to this, like, I can get this, I could get this job back in six months. If I, if I wanted to come back, I quit on good terms. Yeah. So it was like, go do it, man. Go jump and see what you're freaking made of, man. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Derek, on the other side of the coin, dumbest money mistake that you've made. So because I haven't made a ton of like investments, I've never lost like a big chunk of money. Um, yeah, I've never, I've never lost like any big money in investment, but easily, and this maybe is not even dumb. It's more just like shows how ignorant I was when I was yeah. younger to like how money even worked. I think I was 18 or 19 years old. I got a credit card with a $250 limit. I didn't even know how that worked. Like, I'm not even kidding you, man. I didn't even know how credit cards worked. I racked up $250 and I never made a payment on it. 
and I, it went to collections. Obviously, I've since paid all that stuff off, but like I didn't even know how yeah. that worked. I to the, I never even logged into the portal. I don't think for that credit card to even see what happened. I just <laughs> I ran it up, and I was like, "Well, that's declined now. I guess I can't use that anymore." And I never made a payment. Those people were probably like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> that's a, you know. I mean, that's I don't. I think that's just a oh gosh. I love the story because I think it it paints a lot of the failures as a society of just like taught me credit literacy. Yeah. Well, even the, even the fact that the credit card company didn't bother to, <laughs> to try to educate, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. They just, just sent me the thing. So ridiculous. Like, oh, dope, a credit card. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, Derek, what would you say is the biggest challenge facing Americans when it comes to finances? Kind of what you just said is just like, there's a lack of education and exposure about it. Right. Like, yeah. When do you know how to buy a house? I think you figure out how to buy a house when it's like, I think I want to buy a house. Now it's about going to learn how to do mortgages and what interest rate means and what's the difference between 5% and 15% and 30% down and what's PMI and should I get credit cards? Do you pay them off every month? Do you pay minimum payments every month? Do you just buy gas with them or do you buy groceries? Do you put everything, you know, like there's just so yeah. many freaking credit methods to figure out how to use. And I don't feel like we educate people enough on the repercussions of getting credit too early and how to use credit responsibly. That education piece I think is, is crucial. And Derek, I want to, I want to get your perspective on this. You um, talked about this on your last episode of Perpendicity. Um, you and Austin had on, and I can't remember his name, but you guys brought on a police officer, African-American police officer to talk about what's going on in terms of race. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious because I know that you expressed some strong opinions, which I wholeheartedly believe um, but what, you know, we're facing a lot of challenges, specifically when it comes to people of color. And, you know, you look at economic, as you said, coming from poverty, folks that are in poverty in terms of opportunity, how do we level the playing field and how do we bring more equality to our society? And I'd love your perspective on this. I mean, I, I, it's such a big question and such a big problem. And it's so spider webbed into so many different pieces. Um, Like, for example, I was having a really thoughtful conversation with a really good friend of mine about the Black Lives Matter movement and um, this defund the police, right? Which there are elements of that that I completely agree with. But I think people, and even you can see it on the media, where it's like people take their positions and they're unwilling to move closer to the middle. And I found that some people are arguing about the same friggin' thing and they're just calling it two different things, right? Like, the Black Lives Matter movement is calling it defund the police. You know, I don't know which side to call it, but the side that my my buddy was taking was it's not about defunding the police. It's about, you know, this this overaggression of the police, like this militarized police force. And I was sitting there and hearing it from both angles. I was like, dude, it's the same thing. Like, yeah, have the voice right now, though. Everyone's listening to the Black Lives Matter movement. Defunding the police isn't ridding the police but isn't there a thoughtful approach that we could take? Maybe we can defund the SWAT teams of the police. Like, yeah. can we defund the militarized vehicles of the police? Can we stop giving away military munitions to the police? Yeah. And it was interesting to see the progress that was made in that one conversation. But I think that's the biggest problem is people aren't communicating with each other. They're yeah. communicating in silos and people are acting out of fear. And I think that's what's leading to some boiling points um, in the way people react to one another is the fear of like, what's going to be taken from me. I think that if you look at our society and map back some of the decisions that have been made over the last 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and can say with a straight face that there aren't racist uh, indications in this country, you are the biggest part of the problem. Like, yeah. and, and I'll give you an example yeah. on that. So it's not just some broad statement, you know, when slavery was abolished, all of a sudden the, the felony thing was written in that said, if you're a felon, you can't vote. If you're a felon, you know, you, you effectively yeah. lose your basic rights. And now let's look at the felony population of the country and how absolutely imbalanced it is from an African-American to a white perspective. Yeah. Right. They absolutely created those segregation. They, they took what happened after the slavery was abolished, they didn't want to give people and they who the hell knows who they are. I'm just going to keep using the term they. But when you can look at that, and not see the direct correlation that something shady happened, that's a breakdown fundamentally. Yeah, 
because now you're looking at current state, which I get it. Like, you know, I can see the perspective of like, but look at the ghettos that are, you know, look at the black communities. It's like, but this country did that to them. Yeah. We did that. We, and that's the other part. I have to take ownership. Yeah. Because if I don't speak up, who the fuck is going to speak up? Yeah. Who's going to speak up? The small part of the population that's getting shitted on? No one's yeah. going to listen at yeah. scale. Right. And it is something that I'm really passionate about because it's unbelievable to me that there can be this level of blatant systemic oppression yeah. and people still find ways to talk around it. It's like, and you know, I think part of it's denial. I mean, I, I, I think oh, part of denial, you oh, know, stark like, denial because it's the ownership. It's the, it's the, it's the selflessness to just be able to say, you know what? I didn't cause the problem. I didn't cause the problem, but it's there. It's yeah. like trying to say like, it's this white, it's, it, it, this is the root of it. This, and this is why it's so bad to have siloed perspectives. It's I'm white. So I have to protect my whiteness. Oh, yeah. I can't say this because then I'm saying I'm bad. It's like, no, you're not saying you're bad. You're saying like we, we fucked up as a country and now yeah. we have to come together and fix it. But the more perpetuated these conversations get in regard to like one way versus the other versus everything fine versus it, nothing's going to change, man. We're going to be a, we're going to be a country that crumbles under the pressure of what we need to see happen. And that's not going to be good by any means. Yeah. No, I think you hit on a lot of really good points there and I completely agree. And I think the, the economic factor and economic opportunity in particular to me, and that's part of the reason why ostrich is so important is a big part of that. Um, like if you look at societies in the past, when large, large um, inequality happens, that's when democracies, when things essentially slip over because you end up with such a small percentage of population that owns, controls the wealth and doesn't help other people. And we've kind of built that in. And a lot of that has to do along the race lines. Um, it's so, so interwoven though. That's, yeah. it, it's, it's literally in the fabric of our society because there's no, there's no law that says, uh, hey, put all black people in jail that you can just take out of, of a law book. It's these little intricacies that have been woven in throughout time that makes it so difficult to find the solution. Yep. And that's the part that we just need radical transparency on what needs to change. Like you can look back historics on everything, man. The war on drugs, that was pretty much to, to imprison black communities. And now look at what that's caused, man. This, this, this huge problem with fatherless households because they're all in jail yeah and then how do you produce positive children in positive environments when you don't even have two parental figures in your life yeah and the argument and it, uh, this is a more problem speak but like the argument is like oh well you know i was raised like that <laughs> as a white person and i was but yeah. it's also you have to be able to count the the many more opportunities that were afforded to me to be able to get out of it yeah it's a mess yeah. man it is. It is. And I think part of it is starting to have these conversations because, you know, I've, I'm going to, I was very blind to a lot of this stuff until very recently. And that's, that's on yeah. me. Um, that's on the way that we educate people. I think that's just in general. And, um, you know, we can always get better. And it's important that we do, especially in this arena to, to really live up to what to me is important about the country, which is yeah. you know, all men are created equal. When that was written, it was very not true. It still isn't true. Um, you know, we left a lot of people out, women, people of color. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, we're working towards that. So I, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts and Derek, this has been a, a lot of fun. I want to, uh, give you the the last word here and kind of, you know, leave the audience with something that, that you want to take away and please let us know how, uh, how the audience can, uh, follow you, connect with you and support what you're doing. Man, that's, that's a, that's a big microphone to give me in the last few seconds. Um, I think I give a lot of just like raw, like everything I've said, man, is just like where it comes from the heart. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully if you listen to this point, you already have taken out your one or two things. Um, but it's just, if I could give anyone anything, it's, it's believe in yourself and yeah. not just simply believe in yourself, do something to believe in yourself. If, if that statement right now sounds too big, then start by listening to some motivational stuff you know, start by listening to Perpendicity. Um, listen to Les Brown, listen to Eric Thomas, just scream into your ear that you're great because we only have this much time. And for those not watching the video, it's to my two fingers are very close to each other. You have very little time on the planet to get done what you need to get done. And one of my favorite quotes from Les Brown is the richest place on the planet is the graveyard because it's where all the ideas that never happened are buried. 
there's nothing special about me. Zero. Like, do I have a little bit of a go-getter attitude? And am I, am I almost, like, aggressively focused on the future to a fault? Yes. But I don't have, like, any crazy brain that has better ideas. I'm st- I started a chocolate company. Like, go start a chocolate company. I will <laughs> call me. Call me. I will show you the machines to buy. You'll spend under $1,000. Go start a chocolate company. Right? But just believe in yourself because as soon as you believe in yourself, anything's possible. That's yeah. what I'd want to leave people with. Um, they can connect with me on Instagram. I think it's Derek underscore Cahill. They'll have to look at this to see how to spell the name right I'll put though. I'll in the show notes. Yeah. 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 Um, and then of course, perpendicity. Like it's, this is literally a perpendicity episode for me. It's just speaking my heart, my mind and, and what I believe is possible in the world and, you know, follow along because it's going to change the world. We're going to change the world. Will's going to change the world too. And just be a part of it. That's it, man. I, I really appreciate you having me, man. This is really special for me to be able to do and, and share the privilege of being able to share my voice and, and give my perspective on things. So this was really good, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate you sitting down. This has been a lot of fun, Derek, and uh, a lot of high energy and, and great takeaways. So thanks so much. We'll definitely have to do it again soon. All right, man. Talk soon. That's it for today's episode of the Silicon Alley podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Derek Cahill. Derek is an awesome guy driven to make his dreams come true. So please let me and Derek know what you thought of today's episode via social media or leave a review on iTunes calling out this episode. And be sure to share the episode with others in your network who you think would also enjoy it. That's it for today's episode. I'm William Glass, CEO and co-founder of Ostrich, and of course your host of the Silicon Alley podcast. Have a fantastic day. You got no time to waste, but still you hesitate. Caught in a 